Tony Award-winning playwright and actor Harvey Firestein spent the last 50 years in show business. If you don't recognize his name, you probably recognize his voice. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, I got to call my brother. I better call my housekeeper. I got to call my lawyer. Ah, forget my lawyer. That was Harvey in the 1996 blockbuster Independence Day. He's made a name for himself on Broadway. He's starred in hit musicals, including Fiddler on the Roof and Hairspray, and wrote multiple Tony Award-winning plays, including Kinky Boots and Newsies. Harvey Firestein has a new book recounting his life on and off stage. It's called I Was Better Last Night, a Memoir. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com slash 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful, and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking to Harvey Firestein about his new memoir, I Was Better Last Night, which details his career on stage and screen. Harvey, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I love NPR. Your voice makes my heart sing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was laughing. You you chose that little clip from Independence Day. And what's so funny, of course, is that I was cautioned before we went on the air that NPR doesn't like any of that language, you know. (laughs) But the funny part is, in that clip, if you watch my mouth... The, the words coming out of my mouth are, oh, crap. But if you watch my mouth carefully, that's not what I said. But we had we had gone beyond our, our um, allotment for for um, uh, uh, undainty words uh, to, to get the the um, the rating they wanted. And so I went in and dubbed the nice word. Well, we, I will have to go back and watch the movie once more just to watch for that moment. Well, what would you say if they're about to drop a car on your head? You yeah, I'd, I'd listen. It's fair. That's totally fair exactly. response. It's fair. Well, I one of your most fair. iconic roles is Edna Turnblad in Hairspray. You won a Tony in 2002 for your onstage portrayal of that character. Hey, Casey, hey, baby, look at me. I'm looking at a chicken that you ever did see. Hey, Casey, hey, baby, look at us. Well, there is even this happening. Fabulous. So Edna is the mother of the musical, but she's played by you in drag. And in the classic 90s movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, you help Robin Williams' character transform himself. 
Daniel, hi. Could you make me a woman? Honey, I'm so happy. You also wrote Kinky Boots about a show, a shoe factory, it's saved by a drag queen. What is it that draws you back to drag again and again? Well, that's oh, oh, you asked a question with a lot of answers in it. Well, it's it's such a big subject. You know, there's me personally, and as a person who is really kind of private, which is kind of funny when you're putting out a memoir. Um, there's nothing like drag to hide behind. I mean, it's a it's a complete costume. Your your personality, your face, your body, everything is covered with armor. Uh, so drag is wonderful for that. In theater, it's very theatrical. I mean, what's more theatrical than a seven-foot woman walking on stage um, as we're, you know, as the world has found out through um, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race? It's very theatrical. It's very eye-catching. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, drag is a lot of fun. It's also somewhat sexy, but not as sexy as a woman in a suit. I think Marlena Dietrich proved when she wore beautiful suits and tuxedos that women in suits is a gorgeous thing. But um, but it can be a sexy thing as well. But it's interesting in reading the memoir, it struck me that while in one way it's armor for you, in another way it allowed you to express something more fully that you that you couldn't when you were out of drag. Does that resonate? Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, Gloria Steinem says in her book about. Um, about uh, self-esteem, she said, it doesn't matter who your parents are, how fabulous they are. They could be the greatest parents in the world. A child doesn't know how to ask for what it needs. A child doesn't have the words, doesn't have the the experience to yet. So uh, taking that into account, when you're a little kid and you go into the world and you're looking around, you're saying, okay, where do I fit in here? Um, I'm a boy who's attracted to men. Um, And then you do all that math and it doesn't quite work out. So you go back and do it again. And a gay kid does that over and over. I I was expressing in the book that I sort of wondered if maybe I was a girl trapped in a boy's body, which was an idea that obviously in the 1950s wasn't exactly on the the front page of the New York Times. So so, so there was all that confusion. and, and I got and I acted out in many ways. Uh, I, I did find my way eventually, but I've never stopped asking questions. Mm. I think to stop asking questions is to die. So I, I, I still will always ask myself questions of who am I really? Amy tweeted, Torch Song Trilogy was one of my first Broadway shows. Love him. We'll hear more from Harvey in just a moment. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. 
Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our conversation with Tony Award-winning playwright and actor Harvey Firestein. His new book is called I Was Better Last Night, a Memoir. So, Harvey, I would love for you to read a, a bit from your new memoir. And this is a, a section of the book when you talk about an experience you had when you were when you were a young boy. Yeah, this is probably um, second grade, I think. So let me just read that. When Halloween arrived, I rushed home from school and stripped off my clothing. I wrapped a bath towel around my chest, went into my parents' room, and liberated the stash of makeup from my mother's vanity. I went at my face with abandon. Eyeliner, mascara, blush, and my mom's brightest shade of red lipstick. I stood back and admired the results in the mirror. I gawked. With this act of defiance, something shifted. Something magical had happened. Staring into the mirror, squinting away the imperfections, my outsides at last matched my insides. And I heard the voice in my head ask that most frightening of questions. Are you a girl? You said you never stop asking questions. And I'm curious where you are in this conversation with yourself today. Well, what's wonderful is that I always look to see what the kids are doing, (laughs) what the young people are doing. You know, when I was in the struggle for gay rights, it was about convincing the, in quotes, majority heterosexual, though I've come to no longer believe there's a majority of heterosexuals. I've been around too long to believe that. Um, but But the struggle then was to convince the majority heterosexuals that homosexuality was normal, that it was part of nature, that it was every day, nothing to be frightened of and all that. We seem to have moved beyond sexuality and the young people who I said are the, always the ones who point you to where the revolution is going. And we must always listen to the young people. Old people will only get you into trouble as they try and stay alive. Look at Putin today. But young people will guide you to the future. And they have moved from sexuality to gender. They're now gender warriors saying, what is it to be male? What is it to be female? Does the psyche match the body? The And they're asking these questions, which I think are absolutely fascinating. I understand very little of it. As I said, I don't understand myself, but I'm fascinated listening. I'm fascinated watching and I'm fascinated as they come up with ideas that will take us into the future. I mean, I come from the world as you might come from the world where they were scared to share bathrooms. Do you remember a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. the bathroom laws they wanted to pass as if going to the same bathroom was going to somehow sully your future, change your children, curse you. I mean, they've moved so far beyond that. It's that it's, it's wonderful. Um, So they're asking questions. If they're asking questions, why shouldn't I? And because all you get out of asking questions is more questions and more fascinating places to go. Well, I want to go back to 1983. You were 29 years old. You're a newly famous playwright. Barbara Walters interviewed you on 2020, and she asked questions including, what's it like to be a homosexual? But this is the moment that people really remember. 
A few years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do an interview like this probably and put it on on the air. It would have been, but this is not the subject one talks about. So things You happen. could have done it. You would have had a fight, your senses and all that, but you could have done it and you should have done it. You know I am not the first gay star of a Broadway show. How have you seen LGBTQ representation change in the 15 year, 50 rather years you, you've been in show business, both on screen and on stage, but also in media? It's, well, it's kind of, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's just fascinating to see how we move, you know, sometimes in, in fits and starts and sometimes it looks smooth, but um, we've gone through so many periods. That period that Barbara Walters and I were speaking, right after that is when AIDS hit. AIDS sent lots of people back into the closet, but at the same time, gay, openly gay people began to out people that were in the closet saying we're here fighting for our lives and you're just cashing checks and hiding so this other whole movement happened uh like i said it, it, nothing goes in a straight line it just moves along and it's it's wonderful to see how it does sometimes painful that was a very painful period but out of that period all of a sudden gay people used to be uh, I say in my play, Safe Sex, we were the great mysterious underground. No one knew who we were. Suddenly, because of AIDS, everyone knew we were mothers and fathers and firefighters and policemen and, and, and teachers and doctors and lawyers. We were no longer the great hidden underground. We were you. You were us. And, and I say in Safe Sex, we were gay. Now we're human. And that's a very different position. People, you know, I, I always laugh that nobody says to um, to, a, to a heterosexual writer, nobody ever asked uh, Neil Simon, so what's it like to be a heterosexual? I mean, it's, it's so why are you asking me what it's like to be a gay person? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we're people. I, to me, one of the great gay, one of the great lies of my childhood was this um, Brotherhood Day, where we would like all stand around and say we're all exactly the same. We're not. We are all gloriously different. We're magnificently different. No two of us is exactly alike, and we should celebrate the difference in us and in each other, and accept the differences in each other. I think that's a faster way to equality for all of us than trying to make believe we're all exactly the same. I want to talk about your artistic journey. Uh, you referenced um, Safe Sex, which is a, a play you wrote. We also got this email from Katie who says, please let Mr. Firestein know that Torch Song trilogy greatly impacted me. I was exposed to the movie in college in the early 90s when I was just starting to come to terms with being a lesbian. In the writing of this memoir, as you reflected on your work as an actor, as as a playwright, I, I suppose the question I'm wondering is, is were you always telling your own stories in, in this work, or or did you find find a connection between the work you chose to do that revealed itself to you in, in the process of writing this memoir? Asked Shirley MacLaine, who has written, I think, nine autobiographies <laughs> before I started. I asked her for her advice. And she said, let memory be your guide. 
let memory be your editor. And I said, well, that's sort of fine for me telling my part of the story, but my story is made up of all these people. I am just the sum of the people that have been in my life, many of whom are dead. Mm-hmm. many of whose stories I need to tell because they died too young to tell their own stories. And she said to me, Harvey, you can only write about how they affected you in the long run. You're telling their story, but it's still you telling their story. It's still edited through your memory. And so just trust that and do that. And I tried in the, in the book to do that. There are lots of stories about different people that I knew and, and, and their life's journeys. And, and I tried to be as true to them as I could. The other thing I tried to do was to not say I'm right all the time. I mean, I put all this stuff out there, some of it really horrible with, and I tried very hard not to judge it and let the reader say, this guy's a jerk or I like this guy. I really tried to not judge myself or ask you to, to judge me in my own eyes. Yeah, I mean, you're you're very clear-eyed about your experiences, and I'm always curious in the process of writing a memoir. How how do you ensure you're telling the truth? <laughs> I suppose that's the thing, right? It's like it's the truth as you experienced it, but how do you lean out of that? instinct to maybe make things a little shinier or a little softer than they actually were. I left out very specifically things that would hurt other people Mm -hmm. as much as I could. I definitely did do that. I definitely edited out. I said to myself, you know, what's the point of naming this horrible person or telling this terrible story? It's not going to do anybody reading the book any good. It may have hurt me or whatever. I'm not out here for revenge. That's not what telling the story is about. We could all look for revenge. That's not what this is. Um, I just tried to be as honest as I could. Um, but it's, it's funny, uh, one of my ex-lovers, obviously there's lots of them in the book, and I changed their names mostly, um, but one of them um, got the book, read it, and and said, oh, thank you so much. You were so kind and lovely to me. Um, I really appreciate it. Now let me tell you what you got wrong. And they gave me a list <laughs> of like the simplest facts from his point of view that had nothing to do with our life together or our experience, you know, and I welcomed him to write his own. When you think about the the impactful roles you've played, one that comes to mind for me, of course, is is Tevya and Fiddler on the Roof. If I were a rich man, all day long I'd if I were a wealthy man. What was the significance of playing that role <laughs> for you? Well, it's a show I saw as a child. Um, my mother would buy tickets to everything. Uh, Q Magazine would arrive, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday, and she'd open to what's opening on Broadway and mail away for tickets, as you did then. Seats in the balcony, first row of the balcony, she always ordered dead center, were $2 to $2.50. So a family of four, my father, my mother, my brother, and I could go for $10, plus whatever it cost to get on the subway, which I hate to say was 15 cents then. And, uh, and and then we'd eat at Rossoff's, you know, which was Russian, but uh, Jewish food. Uh, and um, 
and we'd see everything. So mostly the curtain went up on a stage full of nuns, you know, in Sound of Music or a bunch of English orphans in Oliver or, and then the curtain went up on a stage full of Jews. And I'm saying, those are my people. And they're up on a stage and I'm seeing Jews on a stage and they're wearing tzitzis and they've got their heads covered and they're doing this song and it's the life of Jews. And it meant so much to me. A hundred years later, I get asked to do Fiddler on the Roof and I say, okay, and it's a long process. It's all in the book. Um, Lots of stuff I went through, which was all wonderful. But I came out of the theater on Wednesday matinees. We very often had a lot of Hasid. Hasidic people in the audience because it was Wednesday matinee and um, and and I'd come out of the theater and sign autographs and we came out of the theater and there was a little Hasidic boy with his payas and his black and white outfit and just staring at me with the biggest most open saucer like eyes ever and his mouth open and I looked down at him and said are you okay cookie and he looked at me and he said are you really Jewish and it just broke my heart, absolutely broke my heart. It was to, he had just seen what I saw as a kid. I knew his life was being changed by what we had just done. And, and I felt so wonderful to pass that on to the next generation. In the book, we hear about your highs, but we also hear about some of the, some of the lows, some of the challenges, um, your recovery from alcoholism, um, a, a suicide attempt, what did you learn about yourself in the process of writing this memoir? I'm an addict. Um, that, I don't, that I don't always make the best choices for myself. Um, you know, it's 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 really nothing that I can that I can sum up in one or two sentences beyond saying that doing things my way and ignoring the AIDS crisis as much as I could, putting all that sadness aside, putting aside the sadness of my relationships, of the career things, all that, by trying to just shove them away and not deal with them, and instead pour another glass of of alcohol, um, led me to a very dark and ugly place where eventually I did try to kill myself. And if I was smarter, you wouldn't be talking to me now, but I'm not very good mechanically. And so I failed. Um, But I've considered that moment of when I woke up in that car with the engine running um, and I woke up and got out of there, the moment I was reborn. And I look at every day since then, and it's 25 years, um, as a gift, as a gift that I don't necessarily deserve, but as a gift that I will consider a gift and will do my very best to be who I can be and, and, and repay that gift. And so it has changed everything for me. We only have about a minute left here, and I wish we had more time. But this, Let's dance. <laughs> let's do it. In the let's passage, dance. you write this, this philosophy you have that really stood out to me. Nothing changes when you say no. So say yes and let the world know you're open to possibility. And I want to know what you're saying yes to these days. Well, you know, you could be sitting and having a cup of coffee and you're reading your newspaper and a friend calls and says you want to meet for lunch. And immediately we say no. But if you say no, nothing changes. Not that going out for coffee with that friend is going to make every difference. But you never know. You don't know. So right now you're asking me, I have a 
book coming out. I never wrote a book before. I never, I, I write, you know, op-eds and stuff like that, but I've never written long form. But my agent said, you want to try it? I said, I'll try it. So say yes, go ahead. The only thing you can do is fail. And uh, you're still going to wake up the next day just fine. That's Harvey Firestein with advice we should all take to heart. He's a Tony Award-winning actor and playwright. His new book is called I Was Better Last Night, a memoir. Harvey, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. I love NPR. Thank you for having me. Today's producer was Avery J.C. Kleinman. Our podcast is produced by Barb Anguiano. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A.